This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Laravel News Podcast. This is episode 39, and we have with us a very special guest, Jack McDade, on air with us today. Jack is going to be speaking at Laracon and continuing in the tradition of the last couple shows here. We have him on to talk about his development journey and what he's going to be talking about this year at Laracon. Jack, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. And I feel special since you called me special. <laughs> you are. You are a very special guest. And uh, you are not really a stranger to the Laravel community either. You gave a talk last year at Laracon. Uh, you've done a couple other things mm-hmm. in the Laravel community as well. I think you've done some design work. What, what kind of stuff have you done? Yep. I, uh, I designed Laravel.com, the current iteration. So my name is in the footer of that. Uh, I did the Envoyer site design. I did... I did some stuff on the the Forge landing page. I think that one's been redesigned now. Um, yeah, just like a lot of the community sites that are you know slowly change over time. I did um, Laracasts, uh, and Jeffrey I think had iterated out every pixel I designed pretty quickly. But you know, yeah, right. as he does, as is his prerogative. So it just keeps getting better, which is all that matters. Uh, so yeah, I've done a lot of design stuff in the community, but also. Uh, built a CMS uh, called Statimic, which runs on Laravel, and we've uh, begun uh, extracting some packages out of that to give back to Laravel community. So, you know, we're pretty involved on, on kind of all the different angles and uh, looking forward to speaking this year. Awesome. Very cool. Well, that was a, a good kind of a brief introduction uh, for those of us in the Laravel community who might not be super familiar with you and where you're from and and uh, where you work, what you do. Could you give us a quick rundown on that too? Do you do Statomic full time or is that kind of a side thing or, or what's the deal with that? Yeah, uh, I am first and foremost a fully grown human being, which is a pretty good achievement that I... Nicely done. You made it. I'm really proud of. And uh, I've made it. I have, I'm full adult from nine to five. And uh, yeah, so, so basically my company is Wilderborn, um, which is the parent company for a lot of different things. But the biggest piece of that is, is Statomic. So uh, we have, uh, our team is three. We all work on it. Uh, as much as we can, uh, mostly full time, at least for Jason uh, and Jaggy. But I've transitioned a little bit more into like product manager, business strategy, marketing kind of side over the last year, and uh, have my hands in a few other things from like consulting or you know advisory mentor level. Uh, I've been working with Yaz Ninja Parade uh, on on his app uh, Contest Kit and helping to bring that to like the next level. So yeah, there's just a, a lot of things we do. My my personal kind of specialty tends to be on like the UI, UX, branding, like strategy side of things, though I am full stack and I do, you know, build apps in Laravel and can code PHP and know the difference between a facade and, <laughs> and uh, all that stuff. So, you know, uh, I, tr- I try to wear all of the hats, but really only are good at maybe two or three of them at, a, at any one time. And so these days it's more on the, you know, the design thinking strategy business stuff. Tell us a little bit, Jack, about your journey to development, how you ended up being someone that is, I guess, a jack of all trades by the sounds of it. Yeah, (laughs) never heard that one before. Um, Yeah, so (laughs) if you've ever seen the show Halt and Catch Fire, there's actually a guy who plays me. Uh, No, I'm kidding. Um, So... (laughs) 
<laughs> he's a baby. Uh, yeah, so I'm a child of the 80s, so I grew up uh, using my dad's laptops that he'd bring that he'd bring home from work. He was a federal government employee, worked for the highway, and he'd bring home, you know, these 19-pound laptops. I still remember I those. Was, you know, four yeah, or five, maybe. massive laptops. Oh, my God. They were... It was so exciting. Like dinner would be over and he would be done doing whatever reason he had to bring it home that day for. And it'd be sitting there on like the kitchen table, like glowing and just asking for me, like <laughs> push buttons. <laughs> like I have no idea what's going to happen, but it was like this magic box, like this world that was way more interesting than the one I currently lived in. So I think it was probably like, you know, video games at first, right? Like uh, test drive or uh, actually before that would be like, I don't know, Space Invaders and stuff, whatever, like, actually ran in MS-DOS. But I started tinkering around with QBasic yes. on the first laptop yep. that actually stuck around at home, right? And I think we all kind of made, uh, I made Choose Your Own Adventure games, type, like nice. text adventure games, which was really fun. Yeah, I mean, the worst looping code right, conditionals, ever, like, go right? to... If, if, uh, if, just, if right. Oh, yeah. Was, that, would, that definitely wouldn't fly now. Just endless, endless chains. yeah. You're like, the length of the game totally depended on how many conditions I felt like writing. There was nothing better. Anyway, so you fast forward, I'm building stuff on GeoCities and Star Wars fan sites when Phantom Menace came out because I was really excited <laughs> and it turns out it was terrible. Um, <laughs> uh, keep fast forwarding. I, uh, I built websites for, you know, like uncles and friends, dads and stuff while uh, going through college. Went to school for marketing. Uh, turns out marketing, especially in an academic sense, is really boring. And so as soon as I got that degree, I stopped doing that and uh, got a job coding. So I was doing like like a interactive marketing strategy slash front end developer position, which was really convenient because I wasn't like that good yeah. at front dev yet. And I think it was like 2004, 2005. And uh, my instant messenger screen name was I know some HTML, <laughs> nice. uh, which everybody thought was a joke. Like, like, ah, oh, it's funny he only knows some. And I'm like, no, literally, <laughs> like, I, only, I know like some of the tags, right? And so, you know, you, you go through the agency world in a year, you have to get really good or you're out. So, I mean, I learned everything and just, you know, you step stone to another company in a bigger position and build a web team and then quit your job and start a company and then build a product and fast forward. And here we are. Uh, having this podcast that's episode. Very cool. Yeah, that's a <laughs> that's a, the beginning of your story. Sounds very similar to mine. Uh, GeoCities and and uh, you know making small websites yes. for family members and things like that. So uh, that's all, that's interesting to hear. Um, where at which point did you kind of transition from doing front end stuff to Laravel? What was kind of the catalyst that pushed you to need to know the back end sort of things. Uh, when did you get started with the PHP? Did you start with any other back end languages first or service side languages first or was PHP your first shot at it? Yeah, it, it started with PHP um, when I was building stuff for Expression Engine. So I think, um, which is a content management system, um, not quite as popular as it used to be. And uh, we were using it at the, the agency that I was at and it, you know, it was missing some features and the only way to add them was to write some PHP and the other guys in the shop were like, we only do .NET. And we're like, oh boy, <laughs> I guess I'm doing this myself. Um, or actually, no, it's Cold Fusion. Oh yeah, gosh. We, yeah. Can we do that in Cold Fusion? No. Okay. Yeah. So there starts like the reverse engineering, Googling stack overflowing adventure of learning PHP backwards, like from the yeah. outside in or inside out, whichever that would be. 
and then you know, fast forward a little bit and I was still kind of leaned heavily on like the front end and design side, um, but got into like a large project where we're building this giant suite of like SEO tools and uh, it was a Ruby app. And I really liked a lot of the stuff that was happening in Ruby. This is like pre Laravel 4, like, you know, maybe 2008, 2009. I, I can't really remember exactly, but uh, I hadn't heard of Laravel. It was either, you know, a twinkle in Taylor's eye or something. And um, I loved the migrations. I loved, you know, the terse code. I loved how it kind of did a lot of the hard work for you. And so I started learning Ruby and Rails and was building an app and, you know, kind of playing around with that. Uh, and then I tried to launch my first like Rails prototype app. And I don't know if you ever tried to stand up like a Ruby server on your own. <laughs> like it's a nightmare. And I had literally couldn't afford Heroku. And uh, I was like Googling PHP framework with migrations. <laughs> and that's like literally how I found Laravel. I think four had just come out. I'm like, oh my God, this is it. I'm going back to PHP after like spending all nights and weekends learning, you know, going through Rails on yeah. Zombies or Four Zombies or whatever back in the day. So yeah, that's how I found it and fell in love and, um, you know, started using it more on other projects and tag teaming projects with it and building my own stuff and working on other people's stuff. And yeah, it's just, it's been like hard eye emojis awesome. ever since. Nice. Hey, just Michael, I, I'm curious. I don't know if I've ever heard of how you kind of discovered Laravel. I, for me, it was through Jeffrey Way. That was that was like the way that I heard about yeah. it. I'm curious to know how you heard about it, if it was through Jeffrey Way as well. Uh, it was not through Jeffrey Way. I I cannot okay. for the life of me remember the, the exact circumstances. I know that I was still working for an internet provider at the time. And I think I was sort of just looking for a better way of doing what we were doing. So a lot of... Everything that I did there was it was all hand rolled. Everything was built there. We didn't use anything external. We we didn't use any packages or anything that we had found. And I think someone mentioned to me something about Symphony, and my eyes lit up when I saw that. And I thought, holy crap! I don't have to write all of this stuff by myself. I can just like fix problems that we have instead of like doing authentication and and handling sessions and all of that stuff. So I think somewhere along that line, I I sort of wound up stumbling onto Laravel and this was still in the three three dot days where you know there was the bundles and things like that but I never really uh, actually got around to using it until early version four very cool and so I mean that was bundles that was before composer was really a popular thing or whatever and now Laravel is uh, hijacking the composer files to do its own stuff (laughs) the uh, auto loading of the uh, app service providers and things like that yeah yeah really cool stuff so we might talk about that a little little bit later in the show but Jack we wanted to uh, ask you about as well what you're going to be speaking on this year at Laracon and see if you can just give us a little bit of a preview of what topic you're going to be covering yeah so I think part of the fun of my talk last year was that it was highly (laughs) ambiguous Uh, I think my my title was Wizards, yeah. Lawnmowers, and Hovercrafts, and like nobody knew what it was about. And uh, even Taylor, Taylor had no idea. I think that was part of the intro. Uh, he's <laughs> like, I have no idea what this song is about, comma, yeah. Jack McDade, right? So, so to some degree, like I don't want to get too much into details because it's okay. kind of part of the fun. However, uh, I, I definitely want to talk about um, part of part of like the high level concept is is like where we okay. Well, before I get to that, I think I'm doing the only non code talk like. Like last year, I think there was a couple uh, conference a little bit shorter. I'm doing the, I think it's scheduled at least right now to be the last talk Ooh, of wow, the conference. No pressure. Um, so it's a little bit of like, you know, <laughs> yeah, no pressure at all. Exactly. Make sure, remember lots of names and like thank everybody. Um, 
but also there's a little bit of a like a send off and like inspirational quality that should should come along with that. And one of the things I want to talk about is uh, where where we get satisfaction from in our job and um, and kind of some some deeper thoughts about that. And it'll still be lighthearted. Uh, but there's this notion that I've been I've been studying and kind of experimenting and doing some research about where in today's today's society in this like highly interruptive culture of, you know, mass information that um, when that that we now as as people as fully grown human beings or slightly less than fully grown human beings pass along data like to other people that we now get the similar emotional feeling of satisfaction that our parents or previous generations got from actually doing the thing the data was about so like if we now send uh, an article or retweet something about how to be more productive we now actually feel like we're more productive <laughs> though we are literally no more productive than we ever were yeah and so that concept i want to kind of unpack that a little bit and i've been doing some some like real life experimentation with like different approaches to work over the last year in preparation literally for this talk which includes like three or four different modes of work that i've tried and what works best and uh, yeah it should be interesting it's it, it'll be interesting if nothing else <laughs> yeah yeah, I love the the soft skills side of development. I think it's a lot more interesting because we can we can get technical talks from so many different places, but for people to give talks on soft skills and and to give them well, and I was in your talk last year at Laracon and I loved it. And it really like it breaks up that nice. conference as well. If you're going to be listening to tech talks all the time, primarily that is what the conference is for, sure, but there's more to being a developer than writing code. Yeah. And to some degree, a lot of the, the technical information that's laid out in a conference might even be more easily digestible in a blog form or like a screencast form because you can read it and copy and paste it and play with it. Yeah. Um, so the conference really needs to lend itself to, to things that can make you think or, or make expose you to things that you would not have read yeah. the whole article to. Right. So like that's that's the key. And so that's something I hopefully, you know, good stories, a memorable topic and good information. Hopefully people can walk away with a yeah. nugget that can Very cool. improve the way they work. I think, I think the other thing that had, I had going against me last year was that I had traveled specifically for the conference. And <laughs> yeah. those of you who may not have guessed from my accent, I'm not from near, I'm definitely not from near Louisville. <laughs> and so, you know, it was, a, it was a long journey there. You know, you got to make the most of the conference while you're there. So you're you're up late, you're spending time with people, you're hanging out, you're having a great time, and then to sit down and listen to, to technical talks all day, your brain is just absolutely fried. So to <laughs> to try and absorb all of that information, I I really really enjoyed Sandy Metz's talk, and I had to watch it again as soon as the video was available because by the end of that that first day, I was I was you know melting off my seat, my brain was just gone. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As well as your, as well as the mate you yeah, brought along with you. There's a lot of people. Mm. Go ahead, Jack. Go ahead. Yeah, he was pickled. Yeah, I think that's that's just true of a lot of it. And I knew I was I was striking a chord last year when I started my talk, and I could see probably about three or four hundred shining apples, <laughs> like they were just glowing out in the night. Uh, and like about five minutes in, there was like three. Yeah. And I was like, ah, oh, they're listening. You know, that's a good feeling as a speaker when you see like the Apple logos go out. Yeah, it was it was a very entertaining talk. Uh, I still remember you, you. It was about you know you talked about Radio Shack and your boss there. It was it was a good great story, <laughs> right? So people, which I don't it know, was, like, may or may not have been Radio Shack, and it may or may not have been may, a true story. Yeah. <laughs> 
who knows? We'll never know. Yeah, I love that. Uh, <laughs> it's it's very true, right? People remember best uh, when you tell stories, right? Yeah. It's just like how our exactly. brains are wired, right? To remember stories. So, I mean, I could probably give you the topic of a lot of the talks from last year, the topic, you know, the, the main heading. But uh, I could probably quote a lot of the story back to you that you told. So it's, it's just interesting, too, how that works. So uh, I'm sure you'll bring another couple of good stories for us this year that we'll, I we hope can so. remember. <laughs> yeah, so I actually, I guess the one other question I was going to ask you was uh, kind of about this Twitter hiatus that you've kind of taken. And uh, I remember a couple of months ago, you said like, hey, I'm back. Did anybody miss me? And I was like, oh, Jack, hey. I didn't know you were gone. Uh, so you had kind of taken a break there. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did anybody notice that I was yep. not here? Guys, come on. Yeah. So I'm assuming that's kind of part of what you're talking about with like experimenting with different sort of work styles over the last mm-hmm. year or so. So I don't want to I don't want to spoil anything for you. I was going to talk to you a little bit about uh, the book that I've read recently that I know you had read that's called yeah. Deep Work. And it kind of talks about a lot of these similar things, right? Like we're in a highly distracted mm-hmm. culture. And how do you kind of uh, pull back on that and really accomplish deep work like the idea being that the ability to do deep work is becoming more and more valuable a very valuable commodity in our society and less and less people are able exactly. to, do, to do it because they're mm-hmm. so distracted i'm happy to talk about it. i think this is a highly fascinating topic and i mean there's only to be some crossover with people who are going to be at my talk in a few months so who cares <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely so what I was going to say about uh, about that deep workbook, though, it'll be interesting. So I'm about like th- I got about three quarters of the way through the book, and then I lost it during our move. So uh, I don't uh, know where it's at. So uh, I was really disappointed, and I haven't found it and haven't picked up another copy. I'll yet. send you so, screenshots of the um, rest of the pages. So <laughs> perfect, perfect. There we go. Just like the um, way Adam does pull so, requests. Yeah, right. yeah, it'll be <laughs> yeah. exactly. It'll be good to it'll be good to hear uh, somebody who's actually finished the book and been able to implement some of the ideas. Uh, that'll be pretty cool. Let me ask you this. I, I know I'm sure like over your research, you've kind of uh, read a lot of different books. Do you have, and this is really, this is really pretty probably off topic, but do you have any specific way that you like to read books that you have found has given you the best ability to recall the information? Or like, is there a way that you like summarize books or does it help you to write a blog post after you read a chapter? Or like, w- what are the ways that you kind of get the most out of books that yeah, you're reading? So what works for me, what I found is I, I read my books on my iPad Pro, my giant iPad, with the Apple Pencil, and I highlight everything that stands out to me, and I use iBooks. So iBooks will roll up all of the things you've highlighted and give you like thumbnail like index to them. And so anytime I'm thinking about something I read, I can jump like right back in because if I remembered it, it was probably something I highlighted, and then I can kind of frame that where in the chapter it was. So like that's uh, I don't do that when I'm reading like fiction. I you know I'll use a paper or like the iPad mini, but the pro when I'm reading like business books or like things about, you know, improvement or productivity or like whatever, that seems to be the best way for me to like retain the information. Very cool. Yeah. I was reading a uh, article that was talking about how to become like, I can't remember what the name of ours was like, how to become like a hyper learner or whatever. And they were saying like the two ways to gain knowledge is experience or by reading. They said like reading is like downloading the brain of the author, you know? And um, basically the way that they had recommended was the exact same, just non-digital. So he'd take hard copy books and he would highlight them. And then as he would finish the book, he would go through and he would, with his phone, take pictures of the pages that he had highlights on. 
and push those into Evernote. And Evernote would OCR those, and then he would have a folder for each book, and then he could go back and kind of reference his highlights. Yeah, I have the automatic version of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Seems much like, like a much more efficient way to do that. So I think I might actually do that. It, some of the books that I have, so like it's hard. Not all technical books come in an iBook format, I, I guess. Or do they? Have you found that they do? So like, like Practical Object-Oriented Design in Ruby, like is, you know, Sandy Metz book. Yeah, I didn't read that. Um, is that... I don't know. I didn't read it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's what I, that's why I'm saying. Like for like some of these more technical books, yeah. like um, they don't they're not always available in like Kindle format or iBook. I mean, or if something they can give like you the that, PDF um, or the EPUB, so, I mean, you can import that in so into iBooks, and then you can still okay. highlight it. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. Try it. Awesome. All right, I might have to yeah. try that out. I mean, if you yeah, have the yes, iPad Pro already, just try it. I mean. You don't have to spend eight hundred dollars just to try something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do not have the iPad Pro. I'm gonna have to convince my wife that this is the next thing I need in order to, yeah. you know, in in order to advance my career. This is the next tool that I need to buy. Is iPad Pro? It's necessary. It's made me more right? effective than yes, uh, more productive absolutely. than anything else I've spent money on in the last couple of years. It's like, you could quote me. I think it would work for Jake as well because he can actually draw some. No, no I can't. So it, <laughs> I literally can't draw to save my life. <laughs> Yeah, I meant Jake, not Jack. Did I say Jack? Oh, Jack and I Jake. heard Jack. Is, yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. It is very early. So there you me. go. It'll be even better for you, Jake. Jake up. Perfect. There we go. There we go. Awesome. Uh, Michael, you have any other questions for Jack before we let him go? Uh, only the ones that we were asked mm. on Twitter. Yeah, why don't you go ahead and, and list those out for us? Um, and and I know that I know that Jack got in. You know, he saw these questions and he answered them on Twitter. But for the benefit of the people that that were not following along. We did have mm. one sort of technical question, and that was, what was the hardest part of porting Statomic to Laravel? Because it was not originally on. It was, was it Expression or was it CodeIgniter or something else before? Uh, it was on Slim. Oh, so like, Slim? Yeah, it was, it was technically it was two Slim applications. We had one for the front end and one for the admin, and uh, like two different instances of, of Slim. And all of it was written in the, like literally all of it was in the routes files, like all of the methods were all in like the giant routes file. And it was, I mean, V1 was like a prototype, like MVP that just kept getting more bubblegum until it actually worked really, really well. And, you know, like, can you add a feature? And like, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it might all break. This thing is feature complete. Yeah. <laughs> it's done. It's reached maximum potential. So, you know, the most difficult thing really was rewriting it from the ground up, uh, which is a lot of work. However, a lot of the decisions were already made. So like the more technical things that, that were a challenge uh, were basically like we wanted to use Laravel's caching system so that we could have a lot of the built-in uh, you know, drivers available to us and that kind of thing. So that was a fair amount of work to kind of reconcile with as much backwards compatibility as possible, the two caching systems, which thankfully like you blow away the cache and it rebuilds itself. So like backwards compatibility wasn't that uh, much of an issue. Also like the user off driver for files was not really easy since like there's no database uh we we have like every feature a full uh database driven cms would like expect to have except we use files to store it and so that was hard we tried to yeah. make an eloquent driver <laughs> that was impossible turns out it couldn't be done so we basically just wrote uh all of our like base classes in a eloquent style syntax and we just basically had to recreate you know all of the same sort of like chained methods and stuff so that was also pretty hard 
I'm trying to think of anything well, else. Yeah. yeah, it was it was a lot of work. It took twice as long as we expected, which is better than the four times as long as they say it usually takes when you rewrite an app. But still, it was a lot of work. Yeah. But now that you're on Laravel and you're you're using the the LTS yep. version for the base of Statomic, is the plan to move to 5.5 when that comes out? Are there no firm plans? It's just whatever you feel like using at the time? Yeah, so yeah, we're on the LTS run 5.1, which made a lot of sense. Plus it has a PHP 5.5 requirement. And so if we just kind of arbitrarily upgraded, like a you know from we're on 2.5 something, we're working on 2.6 right now. If we were to just upgrade to the newer version of Laravel, like it would just break stuff all over the place, right? And anyone running 5.5, yeah. which is probably not a lot of people, yeah. but would mean they'd have to migrate servers. So we'll do that with V3, uh, which we're hoping to put out later this year. And yeah, we're hoping to put it on 5.5. So we get the LTS, which is great for like the people who are worried about like, well, what if my site needs to stay online for five years? We need like a, you know, a security patch in the future. So that makes a lot of sense considering like you don't, you consume Laravel, but it's not like you're not starting a Laravel app with Statomic. Like it reuses Laravel and it's built on top and then you get to extend it with add-ons, but it's not like, like a Laravel app that you just start hacking away on. So it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, keeping that that low baseline for install is yeah, it makes it easier for the kind of people I think that would potentially yeah. be using that that solution. But yeah, going five five, obviously mindful of the fact that you're going from that five five baseline to seven as well. So right, exactly. Which I mean, at this point with the newest versions of Ubuntu, like seven is the standard, which is yeah. great. Um, we all benefit from that, so I don't think it should be a yeah. problem. Yeah, yeah. The other question that we had was from our very own Eric Barnes. Hmm. And, and this is another one I believe you answered as well. Uh, it was a two-part question. Gremlins or ET? Oh, uh, ET for sure. <laughs> and, uh, and Footloose or Dirty Dancing? Footloose. Who doesn't love Kevin Bacon dancing Footloose. his heart out? Footloose, absolutely. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, you could dance with a woman and you could hold her over your head and everything. But when you are alone with your feelings in a giant warehouse with pure white sneakers i mean that's a special moment yeah maybe that's where taylor and apparently and apparently uh like a parallel bar or whatever that was maybe he's like flipping around on the stupid like <laughs> yeah. thing or whatever like, yeah wasn't it or was there like rings or I something it, i don't remember I something in the warehouse ring. i mean i'll be honest i haven't seen the movie in like a decade but um <laughs> i think it was maybe both i think they definitely just cut in uh, with like an amateur Olympian uh, like gymnast to just do some some yes. sweet moves, um, some yeah. flare kicks. Which yeah, yeah. Just as a shout out, like I don't know, like I love that like rage dancing. It's so funny to me. If you guys have never seen the movie Hot Rod, you need to watch that. They have an amazing scene where it's oh, what's his name? He's Andy from Samberg. SNL. Yeah, that's yeah, that's right, Andy Samberg. Yeah, he he has an awesome scene where he's like rage dancing in the woods. It's pretty <laughs> hilarious. We'll have to see if we can link that up. In we'll the have show to link notes. that up in the show notes. Yeah, that'll be yes, that'll be really awesome. important for uh, for Andy's SEO quality, right there. You oh, yeah. please include this in your talk. Yeah. You can include it in your talk. Just a little <laughs> the cut. The rage dancing, or do or are we? Yeah, right now we are asking yes. Jack to include rage dancing in his talk this year. Or I recreate the I scene from Footloose. Let's do it. Mm. <laughs> Yes. That would be amazing. <laughs> uh, I'll have to start practicing now. So, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. You need to get a dance coach. And uh, next thing you know, you'll be on Dancing with the Stars and we'll all be, cl- oh, all be cheering for Jack. Awesome. Good days. Good days. 
All right, Jack. Well, thanks so much for coming on and uh, look forward to hearing your talk at Laracon this year. We will see you. Yeah, in thanks New York for having City. me. Cheers. Cheers. Absolutely. Well, you may notice a slight change in my microphone. Uh, it may sound a little bit less good. A little bit of the bass has gone out of there. <laughs> and uh, the reason is that I am actually recording from the hospital. So we had our fourth child two days ago. Let's see. Saturday? So it is Monday. Yeah. So uh, two days ago, he's doing really yeah. well. And we had a couple of things to talk about. So we wanted to make sure we got those things to you guys. So committed to the Laravel community. That's me. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> uh, plus, there's some really fun stuff to talk about. We got some cool things to talk about with you guys. 5.4.24 just came out this last week. And so we wanted to run down a couple of the things that were in the change log. And the first thing we're going to talk about is gate resources. So, Michael, could you talk a little bit about what a gate is real quickly and then how a resource is different than what it's been in the previous uh, iterations? Yeah, so gates basically allow you to define a list of policies that will prevent different users or won't prevent them, but it will check whether different users of your application have access to different things. Um, so it basically allows you to call, I think the user can, on, there's a few different ways to invoke the check, but basically you can define things like, you know, a client can view this page or a client can view this specific or a user rather can view the specific client or update them or delete them um, or that the, the user that is able to create new clients in your application. So previously you would have to define a specific ability for each um, one of these things, but with 5424, the gate facade now has a resource method which allows you to in a similar way to how you would use resource controllers basically define the client and then that would then allow you to um, the rest of the abilities so whether it's view create update delete automatically registered as policies in your application so i believe the way that you can do that is you make a gate class right something like that but then you have to register them similar to how you do like in your routes file right so you may have a user controller but then the way that you access that is by setting up your user routes in your in your routes right so you have route resource and then yeah uh, you know users right and it just automatically knows that you're going to have a class out there with an index with a show with a create with an update and edit and a delete and so that's kind yep. of what this does too, right? Is it says, hey, I have a gate class out here. I'm defining some abilities for editing users or whatever, or editing posts. And you can expect that there's going to be these classes out here. So instead of having to register a new gate for every single one of those, just gate resource. Yeah. So instead of having, you know, client policy view, client policy create and so on in the same way that you would have, you know, client controller view, client controller create, all you would have to do is go, you know, gate colon colon resource client comma client policy and the the four methods would be inferred or the four gate sort of checks would be inferred from that so you would get client view client create client update and client very delete. cool yeah and i actually just for the very first time in the last week and a half or so have used these these gates previously there was some kind of architecture decisions that limited our ability to use these in our laravel apps uh, but in the recent version mm -hmm. of an application we're building, we decided to try them out and they are pretty incredible. They work really well. So, and it's nice that it, a lot yeah, of- Yeah, they certainly make things easier. Oh yeah, for sure. And it injects automatically the authenticated user. 
into these kind of gate checks, mm -hmm. which is great because a lot of times in the stuff that I was doing, I was having to say, okay, grab the logged in user and then check to see what their role is and then check to see if they have this ability. And, and this just automatically grabs the logged in user, throws them into that gate check, and then you can do uh, the check straight from there. So pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was also uh, two changes that me and Michael had a really fun time talking about, and I'm trying to make it as clear as I can here. There is two new methods. One is on the route. Uh, I don't know how I want to say this. One is one is a new method on route the class. route class. Thank you. And the other one is a new method on the request class. So on the route class, you have a new method called is name. So what this will do is if you use the route class and you say is name, you can then pass in as a parameter the name that you're looking for and it will return a boolean. So I'm trying to think of a great example of, of where you'd use this. I'm not exactly sure where that might be. Um, Maybe in the middle in like, layer or something like that? No, I would use it in like a navigation bar to ah. determine whether or not we should apply an active state to a particular you know, menu bar item. So you could use, you know, on, on any given page, if route is users, then add the active class to the users menu item. Very cool. Yeah, a lot of times I have a problem with that when I have like a drop-down menu. So I might have a, like I'll have claims and then I'll have, there may be a spot where you click a button for create claim. There may be one where you have edit claim or something like that. Uh, and in any case, I want that top level one to be highlighted whenever I am on any of those routes, those named routes. Do you know what I'm saying? So like whenever yeah. the... Yeah, I'm pretty sure that this supports like using wildcards. So oh, you could cool. have claims.star. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Mm. Awesome. So that's that's where you'd use it, folks. Yeah, I'm reasonably sure so that So route works. is name and then you have request route is. So this is available through the request facade or through uh, the request global helper. So you can say request route is and it returns the same sort of Boolean check for you. So you just pass in uh, whatever you would think the named route would be and it will return a boolean for you after checking it against the router so there you go yeah, yeah. and i've actually i've had a couple spots where there were times that i wanted to check specifically i think i think in the middleware in any case i know i've had to do this kind of manually in the past and so this will be a good addition yeah good to know about yeah it makes it easier not not violating violating any laws of demeter demeter, demeter there you go pronounce it I would give the example that Adam gave uh, when we were talking about this with him one other time, but then we'd have to put the explicit tag on the yeah. show, so we'll leave that out. <laughs> <laughs> we also had uh, an addition of uh, a method called hash to the Illuminate file system. So a lot of us end up using the storage facade and using fly system, but under the sheets, kind of Laravel does have its own thing called file system that's still available. It's, I think you can get to it with the file facade, just file colon colon. And they added a new method to it called hash, which um, if you've ever had to do checks of two files against each other, so maybe uh, I know Michael had, you at work had kind of had this problem before, right? Where you were checking to see, has a user uploaded this file already? And so you can do an yeah. MD5 hash on that file, and then you can compare the hashes of those two files, and it will tell you if they are, in fact, the same file. You had given me kind of a warning yep. before we, what was that kind of, the one warning you wanted to give before? Yeah, yeah. Just, to, just to be mindful of where you're using this method, because it's computing the MD5 hash of an actual file, so not of the file name itself, it can be quite computationally expensive. So it would, if you've got like a large file, it will actually take a long time to to generate 
the hash before you get a response. So probably not something you want to do for a large file if you've got a user sort of accessing the page. So you don't want to you don't want the browser to appear to hang. Um, so if you need to generate the hash, you'd probably want to do that in a background process or some kind of you know, like call back out to the server as a, as Ajax request or something. Perfect. Good advice. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's, you've dealt with a lot of large files like that. So I know you've run into problems like this before, so it's good to have the perspective on Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Um, Maybe you could talk a little bit about the model refresh method that was added in. Yeah. So with eloquent, you've got the ability when you, when you make an update or something like that in your application, you would potentially call uh, the fresh method. So what that would do is that you would have to go, you know, dollar user, um, make your updates, and then if you needed to then pass the the updated model back, you would call user fresh on that model, or you would call fresh on that user model rather. And then what that would do is that would go back to the database and basically rehydrate the model from what you've got in the database. So we all know how much we we hate temporary variables for for better or worse. So now what you can do is call user refresh and it will update the model in place um, without having to assign it to a temporary variable. Interesting. Because when you call the update method, what it does is it will just return a Boolean, right? It doesn't actually return back the model, right? It doesn't yeah. actually return back the values of Correct. the model uh, post being updated. It just it just returns true or false. Mm. Yeah, okay. Interesting. I wasn't exactly sure how this one worked, so and that helps a lot. Yeah, well, the other good thing with the refresh method is that it's going to reload all of the relationships that you've already got loaded automatically. Very cool. There is also, I think, kind of along those lines, uh, I think Daniel Colburn and Caleb Porzio had kind of pushed this model refresh through. Caleb Porzio also had another one called string after. There's a string after method uh, that was added as a global helper. And really what this does is it allows you to take a uh, known string and then look for a pattern in that string and then return everything after that pattern. So for example, if I was looking through a bunch of different strings, maybe I'm mapping over a collection and grabbing them out of some survey database and it says the user's name is colon space Jacob Bennett, whatever. I could say string after, I could pass it that string and then I could say user's name is colon space and then it would return me everything after that. So it would be a convenient way for me to just grab the Jacob Bennett portion of that without having to write my own logic for for grabbing it out of that string or separating on some sort of space or whatever. So it's a handy little method that was added in and uh, I think I'll probably use that in the future uh, as well. There was also a couple things added with it's really sort of a, con- a convenient helper method, and it's called API resource. Can you tell us about that, Michael? Yeah, so the, the theory behind the, the merge request was that for you know those of you who are using route resources, it gives you the full you know index, create, read, update, edit, and delete methods, routes defined for you, and then you just have to go and either manually create your, your resource controller or... Um, you know, use the make controller artisan command. But with this new method that's been added, it's called API resource. It will create you a, a set of endpoints that omit the create and edit routes. This will create you the index, show, store, update, and destroy methods. So no create or edit. Yeah. Um, so you may may allow users to to update an existing resource and and destroy an existing resource. But in terms of you know, there are no edit and there are no... Um, create. Yeah, so there's no edit there's view. No edit, there's no create, yeah. And there's no create view, right. yeah. So, 
yeah, you would you would just post to store, or you would post directly to update. Mm-hmm. And okay, yep, that makes sense, right? Because there's no there's no going to be no form for creating there's it, no view, right? There's yeah, no view in your, in your API. Yeah, totally makes sense. I got it. Mm. Yeah, I find myself. If you didn't know about this, this is also helpful as well. When you're creating a route resource, you can also pass in as one of the parameters. You can say accept or only. And then you can send in which uh, routes uh, you want to omit or which ones you want to create when you're doing a route resource. So like sometimes with route resource, I'll want to make sure that they don't have the ability. So like on some of them, I I can't remember, there's this one that I only wanted them to be able to create it. Once it's created, you can't edit it. So there was no uh, edit, no update, no destroy. So you would just say route resource and then you give the name, give the controller. And then as a third parameter, I think you pass in an array and you can say accept and then you can pass in edit, update, destroy, and it will create the route resource except those three routes for you. And you can do the inverse of that using yeah. only. So this is basically just a little helper uh, for you. So you just call route colon colon API resource, and it will do that without the create and the edit. Very cool. Yep. Um, maybe you could talk a little to us about custom validators as well, Michael. This is a pretty cool uh, addition here. Taylor kind of put out a post about this uh, this last week as well. Yeah, so... Currently, what you would need to do if you wanted to come up with your own validation rule is to use the validator extend method. Um, so in your service provider or in, in a custom validation service provider, you would call, you know, validate validator colon colon extend, give it a name, accept some input, and then uh, return as a, I think the third parameter, a callback on how you would operate on that in order to determine if that input was valid. Which got a bit unwieldy, you know, having yeah, to even just having to say it in, like in your app service yeah. provider. Yeah. So in Laravel 5.5, there's a new feature coming which allows you to have custom validation rules defined as classes. So basically, this is just extending from, oh, sorry, implementing a rule contract, so a rule interface in your application. And then that will accept your inputs in the in the constructor. And then there is two methods. There is a passes method, which is what you use to determine whether or not the validation should pass based on the inputs and of you know the incoming attribute and the value. And then also a message that should be returned in the event that the uh, validation does not pass. Yeah. So it really makes it quite easy. You know, before it really was sort of. Ugh. It didn't feel good. It didn't feel good. And with this, you really can just use the same yeah. sort of validation techniques that you use where like I know in my controllers, I'll have like this validate and then I will say maybe username required, right? And then you can pass a comma mm-hmm. and then you just do exactly what you do to new up a new class except for you're newing up your validation class. All it has to do is implement that rule and then have two, method, two methods, passes and message. And then you can pass in whatever you want uh, into your constructor. So if you need a couple extra pieces of information. So in the example that's given, they need a specific provider. So they need to know which provider it is that they're trying to compare this against. Is it GitHub? Is it Bitbucket? Is it GitLabs? Which one is it? And then depending on which one that is, you're obviously going to have a different way that you validate that it's, you know, a valid resource or whatever it might be. So it gives you the ability to kind of pass in whatever you need into the the constructor and then the passes method that will get called when it goes to do the validation gets both the attribute, so what's the name, Uh, in this case it would have been username, and then whatever the value is of that username thing that's coming through in the request. Yeah. So this was really a a pain in the past and they've made it extremely easy. Uh, So go check it out on Laravel News or uh, Taylor's post out there 
as well. We also had, uh, if you've been around since Laravel 4, it used to be that there was a package called Whoops that was uh, installed by default with Laravel 4. And what it is, is it's, uh, it catches your exceptions and it ex displays them to you graphically really, really nicely. And I know this was something that was kind of mourned as a large loss when Laravel, can't, I'm trying to remember what version it was, it was removed in. It was in 4. something. But uh, version was five, it version 5? Oh, yeah, version out. 5, you're right. Yeah, so in version 5, it was removed. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a lot of uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth uh, when that happened. And there's a lot of people <laughs> who missed it, myself included. So you can, it's yeah. really nice because it shows you kind of the error stack on the left-hand side and you can click into each each one of those little items there and it will show you exactly where it failed in the code, like what line of code it was and kind of the context surrounding it as well as any arguments that were passed in at that point. I would assume also it does contextual uh, sort of binding to MySQL queries where like you have prepared statements and you know, it just would normally have question mark, question mark, question mark, but it will show you what those question marks would have been coming through. Yeah, yeah so it's, it's uh, pretty cool, and I look forward to having it back in the framework, and I'm sure people who have not seen it before will be very impressed. Yeah, yep, definitely. Cool. Uh, did we have anything else we wanted to talk about? ZTTP. Um, yeah, just this ZTTP. Yeah, why don't yeah. you take that one on for us? Yeah, so ZTTP is a package that Adam Wathen released after talking about on uh, his Full Stack Radio podcast, which is basically a, a thin wrapper over Guzzle um, designed to bring an expressive syntax and simplify common use cases when dealing with uh, HTTP endpoints. So the, the, the interface is fluent. It's much simpler to access it than it would be for anyone who's ever had to do anything with Guzzle. You know it can be a bit verbose in that you have to you know initialize a client and then call a request method and a whole bunch of options in in your url so um yeah so instead of doing basically newing up the client and then calling the request on that and then decoding the response body uh, zttp basically allows you to do all of that in line in a, a familiar sort of fluent syntax that you would be used to if you were in in a laravel application yeah it makes it makes these um you know i don't think that these request sort of things out like curl hasn't been Laravelified up to this point, right? And this is kind of like Adam's attempt to do that, yeah. right? Make it seem more like what you have or what you're used to when you're in Laravel, a very, very simple way to make requests out from your application. Um, yeah. And it accomplishes that really well. So, you know, a lot of my stuff is using Guzzle. And the nice thing about this is you can use this in addition to Guzzle, right? I don't have to abandon the stuff that I've had yeah. previously because it's just a wrapper on top of it. So I can continue to use all the yeah. stuff that I've used previously, but I can pull in ZTTP and use it where appropriate, where I don't need all of the, you know, guts and internals of Guzzle stuff. I just need kind of these little, I just need to make a really quick request out and get a response back. So yeah, makes it really nice. Yeah, and it certainly covers all the common use cases. So it'll easily handle post, patch, put, delete, and get. And then it makes it really easy to also, you know, say that I want it to go through as JSON or, or you know, you can pass accept headers and things like that. So we'll put a link in the show notes, but check it out if you have ever felt overwhelmed by using Guzzle directly. Yep, absolutely. All right, well, I think that about wraps it up. This is episode 39, so you can find show notes for this episode at laravel-news.com slash podcast slash 
39. If you like the show, please feel free to rate it up in iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Five stars is very much appreciated. And if you have any questions for us, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at uh, Laravel News or on our own personal Twitter accounts. You will have to forgive me. I am suffering from sleep deprivation, as is common when you have a child, a new child. <laughs> uh, so, all right, Michael, thanks so much for uh, kind of adjusting your schedule to, to fit. Hey, thanks for, yeah. Oh, no, thanks for taking the time to, to set this up while glad you're in to the do hospital. It. Super glad to do it. It's always fun. All right, Michael, we'll talk to you soon. Jeez, all right, bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, it's a great. It's a great. Um, book. So the uh, yeah, I'm sorry, my audio is kind of delayed. I, I can't. I'm like missing you guys as I'm as I'm talking here. One second, let me see if I can turn on any video so I can at least see your faces. Here we go. Um, uh, give me a second here. I'm gonna gotta gather my thoughts. My brain's so mush. <laughs> oh my word. Here, let me just tell you guys real quickly. So my week. Let's see. Tuesday, I was up at 5 a.m. painting, and then Wednesday night, I was like, I was supposed to be painting that evening, and I was like, oh, you know, I'm really tired. I'm just going to lay down for a half hour. Yeah, I woke up at 1.30 a.m., but I was like, <laughs> I have to get this done or else I'm screwed. So I woke up at 1.30 and painted until like 3. Oh, man. And then I was up last night from 12.30 to 4 because I went out to watch the first game of the finals with some friends and didn't get home till like almost midnight, so... Oh, that was a mistake. So I'm like dying. Here. Hey, you're hanging so, in there, man. It's going well. So it's going tired. well. And and we're having and we're having a baby tomorrow. Oh, yeah. like it's a scheduled baby. So, yeah, yeah. Congrats. It's a scheduled C-section. That's right. So uh, thank you. So I, I I'm pretty sure that this lack of sleep is just at its beginning. <laughs> so probably was a mistake to do that. Like I'm already <laughs> sleep deprived going into having our fourth child. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Probably not. Probably <laughs> not a good say call if it was on your that first, one. You're probably going to um, get more sleep, but no, not with your fourth. Uh-uh. <laughs> no, 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 nope. my fourth. Yeah. I'll be taking care of the other three while my wife takes That's care exactly of the newborn. Right. Um,